Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. How you doing, buddy? Good. Hey, um, now that the season's over, let's just say that it just ended. What do you, when's your first match? What are you going to do during the off-season? Is there an off-season for us? Oh, it doesn't feel like it. I um, know. <laughs> it really doesn't feel like it. We've got a match every month, a pro yeah. match every month. We do. Um, I, my first match will likely be Frostbite. I think it's going to be the MDT Frostbite. Is that second weekend maybe of February? It's in February, middle of February, yeah. middle endish. Yep. Yeah, so I've got, I guess from now that would make it somewhere in the neighborhood of two and a half months. It sounds like a long time, but it's not. When you factor in holidays and family stuff, January is cold. February, you're already two weeks away from a match. So, you know, you should have done a lot of stuff in between there. Um, so, I mean, the big things that I'm going to do over the next weeks, I guess. Well, let me ask you before I go into what I'm going to do. Let's reverse that question. When's your next match? My my next match is the uh, Loopold Steel Classic at Navasota. I'm registered and squatted. Is that middle of January? I think it's the third or fourth weekend of January. It's the end of January. Is it? Okay. It's usually the first match of the season. There might be two matches that last week or two of the season this year. I don't know. I haven't even really checked the schedule. I, I think just it's know. middle of January, man. Like 17th, 15th, because that shot Crap. shows. Can you look it up while I'm driving? Yeah. Now I'm freaking out. Because uh, shot show, it's usually, I think it week precedes after. shot show. No, I think it precedes it this year because it's <clears throat> shot show is the 22nd to the 26th. Yeah, so if you're talking about so, what prep and what time you have, if you're going to shot show, that takes five days out of your prep time. And plus, like you said, you got the Christmas holiday and the New Year's and everything. Hopefully, you can at least take a week to not think about shooting. Yeah, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I'll take some time where I don't think as directly about shooting. But, um, you know, I don't know. The, the off season is interesting because we call it an off season, but it's not really, in, at least in our case, because we're shooting matches. Like that one just happens to be a match of opportunity, right? Five, six hours away. How would you just say, nah, I don't really want to? You could. You're saying frostbite is frostbite. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. so close for us that us Plus not it's going to that sponsored is, by MDT. Yeah. so we want to go and support it, and we we like Adam and yep. I kind of like Fred. They're all good reasons. <laughs> we kind of like Fred. We like Fred. Uh, the uh, I think it's a good the, question though because I think people think, okay, I get a little breather and you know I can relax and I should be working on things. I don't know what I should be working on. For me, I. Honestly, the last round fired, I only give myself like a day or max by the time I get back that weekend. And then I'm like, okay, I need to get prepping. I I feel more nervous now driving home from the last match of the season um, for me and thinking about all the things I need to do. I'm thinking, man, I need to start pointing more bullets for the next season. I need to start cycling brass. Yeah. I got the club gun that needs... Uh, a new barrel and brass prep and loading. I'm going to try to load all for, so I guess I'll start thinking or I'll start saying what I'm thinking about doing. I'm going to, you know, count up the, the Michigan matches and the finale for Michigan and make sure I load up like 130 rounds times however many matches there are so that I can have that like off my plate. I don't want to be thinking about that when I'm trying to work on my own stuff. Um, I had already chambered three barrels for it um, that were Re, re-chambers from barrels that I had so they're fresh chambers and and um, they'll each go through a se- another season as a club gun which is totally awesome um, so those were all chambered at the same time so I don't have to worry about that so then I, if I make that ammo that's off my plate and 
then I'm going to start thinking about getting my ammo prep done. I'm, I'm thinking, first and foremost, I'm thinking about bulk type activities that I can pick away at over days and days. And, and if, as long as I'm doing an hour of work per night or an hour of work per day or fit it in there, then it doesn't feel like this gigantic three, five, six hour daunting task on a weekend that I've got to dedicate time to. My brain immediately goes to those tasks that I can break in and out of, but they're just repetitive, mundane tasks, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, you fill your time with... I can with... bank my time. You know, I can bank yeah. the work, is what I'm saying. Yep. Bank it. <coughs> yeah, it sounds kind of similar to what I have going on. I'm going to press... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I'm going to process all of the brass that I have from this year, do a quick count. I'll do a batch in a count to make sure, hey, how much brass do I have? I'll go through all the pieces, make sure there's nothing that looks wrong with them. They'll get annealed. Uh, I'll, get, I'll uniform them and trim them all back to the exact same length so they start the season at the exact same status. Everything mm-hmm. back to the beginning. Um, barrels, uh, I actually I just got to get my barrel order in because I've been delaying that based on some of the stuff we were talking about. But um, between the barrel orders going in, uh, components, powder, and just loading ammo... Um, I'd love to be able to say I could just go load a th- what I, I really wanted to do next year, which was just load a thousand rounds of the same ammo and just have a barrel that's ready to go with say a thousand or two thousand rounds of the same ammo. Have just, it already broken in and have a thousand rounds. Have it and have a thousand plus rounds. Yeah, Whatever you do, since I just found out that you hadn't ordered your barrels for the season, don't put, don't make my problem your procrastination my problem, please. Oh, I'm not. I've already got. <laughs> I have the two backups. I've got a couple barrels I can use that'll that are good for you know a while um i've probably got four matches or so that can get squared away shout out to jeff hey jeff if you hear this please contact francis if you don't have his barrel (laughs) order for next year yet please i will call him on the cell jeff by the time you hear this you will have gotten everything that you need from me to make that uh a barrel order gosh not a barrel wish um yeah so no i'm i you know the biggest thing that i work on in the off season um, I just try to square away all my gear. I want all my actions in a specific chassis. Make sure they're all serialized and bedded. I have one that you bedded that I've got it etched in, and I want to do the other three that way, um, so that they're all they have a chassis that they stay in. I need there's two. I'll zoom for you. Let me know. I know there's two um, two act two chassis I want to have send off for seracoding that so that each one looks slightly different, so I don't have any concerns about them being uh, mixed up like which one's which because that's actually one of the things I, I stress over is which barrel was in which rifle so we have that naming convention I started doing that um, two years ago and then this year we simplified it and I really liked how it worked so now my serial numbers uh, that we have etched in are just or like quote hand scribed on there are just 24 A, B, C, D, E, F whatever continue on so that I have a year so it's just 2023 A, B, C, D Mm-hmm. Um, and, e. and then next year it'll be 24 ABCD. That way I know what year that barrel was designed for and I know the spec for that barrel um, and we keep the coins so that I have a photo to match up with them so I can write that all down in a little matchbook. So getting all that done is part of my off season. But the other big part that's, I think, I think a lot of people maybe overlook this step um, when it comes to season prep and off season prep. You know, that's when you're supposed to be making the bigger changes in your gear so you're prepping for big changes next year so i'm take i take all the scopes off of my guns in the off season every single one comes off they all go on a fixture and i go do a tracking test and a zoom test and all the tests to put a a baseline to all of the 
characteristics of my scope and make sure that they matched what they did, you know, when I had them last season and the mid 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 year. So I usually do it twice a year. Um, every it, I'll do it in the winter and then at some point in that optics life, it will come off in the mid season, go onto a platform and I'll recheck it. So basically, even if I may only use it two or three times, I still want to verify that I don't take an optic to a to a match that's acting funny. So I keep track of. It's tracking percentages, um, how much track travel there is, um, where it's zeroed, and so on and so forth. And just make sure there's nothing mechanically wrong with it. I'll do a quick resolution test and compare that all side by side to see if I can read this line no problem. It's super clear. Um, and just make some qualitative and quantitative notes so that if I see something go wrong, I can at least attribute it to when that could have occurred. I'm sitting over here like a lot of people probably thinking that you're a crazy person right now. Yeah. Well... It did not work, but it didn't work either. So I guess it's somewhere in between. Um, I mean, what's the ounce of prevention worth? I, I don't disagree with you. I just think that people probably should spend more time dry firing or doing something else. You're, but you're probably right. but Especially I, if they only have one setup. But I, if I they only have one setup, maybe it's, it's easier. It's easier. It's quicker. So mm-hmm. I guess, like you said, an ounce of prevention. But I think... Uh, Unless they're intimate with their rifle and weapons maintenance and stuff, they might be kind of intimidated just to even disassemble and put it back together. But I, I think but they I, should feel comfortable. So Exactly. And yep. I mean, I think this is actually sort of confirming what I would say. I think your argument confirms what I think I, I gravitated towards, which is trust but verify. Um, trust in your equipment, but you have to validate that what you you are trusting is real. So you may think your scope tracks 100%. Verify it. If it's 100.5 just know that that's the case and then you can correct for it Uh, if you check it magically and all of a sudden you notice hey it's not actually tracking 100 anymore it's 99 or 95 or 92 or something is erratic and it's not doing the same thing you at least know that because that is some of those major some of those malfunctions happen at the least opportune times and they might have been preventable or at least catchable in the off season that maybe you've been there is a chance i mean look these are mechanical systems there is a chance that something in your system whether your optic, your your torques, and your screws, your rings, has something wrong with it that broke over the course of your season that is affecting your shooting, either to a small or to a large degree. And you can't know that until you go through and do some tracking tests. Um, I even go so far as to make sure that I do like a jostle test or like a tap test where you, you basically oh tap it just lightly on sides. I mean, Just go shoot it. <coughs> you could shoot it. Yeah, but you still want to just verify zero. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I like to shoot and verify zero. That's what I do. I mean, verify zero and then go up, like, say... So one drill that I've done in the off-season when I just have some ammo to burn and a barrel to break in that, that's worked well for tracking um, is you just you shoot uh, essentially every two mils from, to like, ten mils, give or take. So you go one round at zero, then two mils, then four, six, eight, ten, then down, then you shoot again. 10 or back down and you just keep going back and forth and you can do it randomly so one way i did it in one year was i took a list of two four six eight ten zero two four six eight ten that was the first pass i copied it and just did random even number between ten two and ten just deleted all the odds and then just kept them in there so there was the same count they were just spread out randomly so like kind of like simulating going back to zero or like stages where you just constantly go back and forth to all these numbers and you what you should see on target is similarly sized groups spaced exactly two mils apart. Mm-hmm. So whether it's five or ten shots each for each number, that's um, up to you. So, yeah, I mean that's 
It could be a lot of ammo, but you could dual purpose it with building build and break prone yep. positions build or something. Break breaking in a barrel. Yeah, um, you're there is gonna there are gonna be some speed changes, but they're not generally gonna shift you. You know, three tenths on a on a load. Other than the first like twenty rounds, mm-hmm. I think that's maybe where you could see the most change. If I've ever seen it, that's where it happens. But I mean, you've seen all the targets I've done with two hundred rounds of the same ammo. You, you can't tell. There's nothing that's changing. Mm-hmm. It just you can barely tell that there's any sort of shift at all. I think the most I generally see is half a tenth um, in one or two directions where it's just kind of just shifts one way or the other. Nothing I could really account for. I I would say a productive thing for for people to do with their time is to go back through all their old matchbooks and pull out their um, their misses. And if they haven't done the EWSP categories and they have notes in there, uh, go back and do that and do like instead of just a match, um, do a season. Yeah, do a whole season. So, you know, you may have missed 212 shots this season or whatever. Um, break those down and, and then and then pick a couple things to work on. Um, for me, like, one of my biggest issues this year was was mental errors. So I'm going to try to categorize those into um, columns and then figure out if there's things I can add into my process. The second biggest thing that's on my mind is... It's getting, it's getting harder and harder for me to see things as I get older. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I have been doing more is holding lately. So I'm going to come up with some holding drills, like high-speed holding drills um, that I can do on paper and that I can um, use to just... I'm pretty familiar with my reticle. I mean, I've been using the PR2 for two years now, but I still take a little bit longer to just intuitively go to the reticle and then double-check it and then double-check my hold point and then double-check the actual reticle subtension again um, I want to actually be able to close my eyes and see the reticle and I'm like 80% there now just from using it so much more the second half of this year but but I want to come up with some holding drills and, and from my other perspective I'm really good at using a tripod just the leg but I'm not good at using it tack in the table. tack table and that sounds really weird and it honestly surprises me but not so in when you're using a uh, front bag and a tack table with a bag in the rear it should be kind of like modified prone but but if your tripod's not level it's you're fighting the exact height um, you can you can steer the buttstock a lot with with the bag hand in the rear yeah. and that, I think that's what my my downfall is my groups my groups get kind of wide from a tack table but they don't from the leg of the side of the leg of a tripod because it, it requires more precision placement of the tripod and then i've just basically just holding it up um it took me a long time to figure out that you can't you can't lean into a tripod with um your rifle clamped to the leg because under recoil it just comes right back and so i've got that figured out but in a tack table scenario i don't know i'm just not fast at it I'm, i'm i end up fighting it more than it's worth and i used it in the ag cup this year on one stage and i wish i wouldn't have because i just don't train it enough i mean i know the concept and i know what npa feels like but i also know that uh the toughest match with the top 30 competitors in the united states um under the most amount of pressure with the highest stakes is not the best time to be utilizing something that you don't really train a lot with so i want to change that that's that's something i want to practice with yeah you could that's surprising i really I thought that would be a great place to test. You thought it would new. be awesome enough to just use it without training yeah, on it. Yeah, so yeah. did I. 
<laughs> so <laughs> didn't funnily, work out good for me. I got a seven out of twelve on oh, that man. stage. Yeah, I got a terrible score on that stage. Um, I, I think it was five or six. I don't know what was going on. I used a tripod as well. It was spongy, and I kept missing on the little targets. Um, it was two targets or three targets. I forget. I think it was three. It was four targets, four three positions. Targets. Yeah, and I just remember going, "Why can I keep missing? Let's stop missing soon." And uh, I used the upright support um, where I extended the legs and clamped yeah. in and. Normal, it was the okay. normal way. And a couple of us were talking after the fact. We're like, yeah, mulch. It's like, oh, yeah, mulch. After the match it's completely. Super, yeah, after it was done, yeah. done. We were talking after the match, and it's like, mulch is interesting because I never would have thought that. It was so spongy that you'd get into position, and you'd think, yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. And you'd send it, and all of a sudden, there was enough shock to the system, it would settle, or it would bounce back. And, yeah, yeah that it was the same. It was a very similar experience to what I had when I shot... Um, off of a tripod for rear at uh, RCBS. George had this like three-quarter inch to, to one-inch uh, Astro turf that was loop-piled. So when you set your tripod on it, it was literally like setting Spongy. the tripod on springs. Yeah. And the thing would just, as soon as you'd send a shot, your reticle would shake like you were freehanding it. It Glad made no sense. Um, so between those two, those substrates were are very unique, and you either need spikes to get down something firm um, or you have to really pull down and cinch down on that thing like hard, which is not good for NPA, but um, it does drive the leg down into the material and then relax to see where it stays. And it's probably well, let's touch stay on the spikes for a second. I've had people offer me tripod, use their tripod. Hey, use a tripod with spikes. It'll poke through the rocks, gravel, and you'll you know be really stable. And I'm like, no go. That's a no go for me because with the rear tripod rear, you really need to be able to subtly move the leg yep. to get to NPA and I just I can just tell you my preference would not be to have spikes now if your tripod has a big spongy pad on the outside of it and you can manipulate your buttstock I mean maybe you could get a shot off but I don't think that it's I don't think it's natural it's not a natural point of aim so I, I try not to do that I like I like my uh, buttstock to interact with the uh, smooth outside of a tripod and if it's not on target when it does, then I move the tripod a little bit. Yeah. But that's just the way I've been able to shoot small with it. I'm sure there's other methods that just, that's kind of what the way I settled in on it. I remember having a call with Matt Caruso. Uh, it had to be almost three years ago. And he's like, how are you shooting with a tripod? Are you like really leaning into it and doing this and that? And I'm like, Matt, no. <laughs> it was funny because, yeah. because he's like, you know, I found the only way I can do it is if I'm not really really leaning into it not really um pulling into it leaning into it pulling down on it not really doing it. i said yeah i found the same thing i mean we we settled on the same process 1200 miles away from each other and uh yep. this is just a lot of stuff that you and i end up <coughs> ending up on the same thing just from guess and check and trying it you know i think um it was kind of discouraging at the beginning when I started using tripod rear, realizing that it had to be in the exact perfect spot for me to be able to be good with yeah. it. But then once you practice that and you realize that you can get there pretty quick if you understand the small micro movements you need, um, then that's what gives you the confidence with it. So I still have a way that I want to continue practicing. I ha So I don't know if I told you I had a way that I used um, with a tripod with a bag. And I actually used it. Uh, that's yours, yeah. Um, I use a small bag as my support, and it worked really well. I used an X-wing, 
uh, and I would sort of grip that to the tripod and then just set the rifle on that, kind of like a little slidey wedge that they made for the tripods. Um, and it does give you some ability, some flexibility around it, and you don't have to push into the tripod. And it takes out some, it deadens the system a little bit. Um, that's something I'm going to work on more this year because I feel like that there's times where that actually is the correct solution, or it's a hybrid between a tack table and a sort of rigid hard on hard contact on the leg. That I think it could have been hyper, it could have been hyper effective for some of the small target stuff where we like in those chunky big bouldery like uh, substrates rocks uh, mulch thick mulch frozen ground at frozen frostbite. ground at frostbite where you could you just get where you can roughly see it and you're a little ways away and then you set your butt rifle on top of your bag and at some point once we get it maybe we can share some photos of it um, but it was a very effective technique and I found it to be honestly quite fast I can and tell you it's great in dry fire applications like I felt really confident with it because I did play a lot with it but when you get to using it under recoil with live rounds, you have, I think you have too much, my, this is my opinion, you have too much leverage with your thumb and forefinger between that bag to steer the buttstock. It's possible. I did it, try to, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And that's why I want to try it more because I feel like there is a way to achieve that feel um, correctly without... It'd be nice it. if I, there was a way to have more margin yeah. for movement. And I think I without. know how that would be achieved, and I can I actually kind of have a solution worked out that cool. just requires some things. But once <clears> I get it, I'll share it with you, and maybe we can see if it works well. But um, it would be a neat way to, to say that yeah, you can just move this tripod around and have the advantage of a track of a tack table anywhere, like up the leg vertically, and not have it just be for one position. So uncertain, but yeah. So tripod use is also on my list to practice over the winter time so that I can get good. I usually, I use tripods a lot during hunting season and we have um, late doe effectively now. Um, so, you know, the month of December is effectively for just smacking does uh, around Michigan. Some guys are out doing other stuff, but that's what I'll I probably think still, use it for. Yeah. So, I was going to say, I think it's going to be muzzleloader season soon or maybe it's already passed. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Yeah, I don't know. Month of December for me, shooting does um, and then and that's where I use a tripod a lot. So I'll get some practice on tripod, just prepping for, you know, the remainder of the hunting season. Um, and then the other big thing is just taking an inventory on all the gear that I have. What do I have? What do I need? What do I not need? What didn't get used last year? Why didn't it get used? Do I think it still has a purpose? And if not, get rid of it. Uh, decluttering over the winter from all the stuff you accumulate that you think is going to work. It's a, it's a good practice to get into or else you just end up with the stuff all over the place that you just don't really have a purpose for and you keep around either for sentimental reasons or just because you're just too busy, quote-unquote, to actually get rid of it. Um, when you're like, oh, I might use that later, I'll just get around to practicing with it. Look, either you do or do not. <laughs> so that's really the big things that I work on. Um, another one is just using my cold-weather gear the first four months of the year, so January through essentially the end of April, um, and even really early May, there's a strong likelihood that the matches we go to are going to be 30 to 50 degrees mm-hmm. max temps. So getting used to your cold weather gear, making sure you have good systems uh, for cold weather use and how you're going to stay warm is super critical. So that's what I'm basically planning for cold weather shooting. So. Yeah, I was going to say it was an eye opener for me a few years ago when we shot frostbite. Um, 
what was it bomber run that bomber run. was like two yeah. two plus years ago oh, that was wild like 20 degrees or 15 degrees it was just an eye-opener for me i knew that my gear my my upper you know jacket shirt layers everything would have an impact on how i interacted with the rifle um and then it it didn't go well so it was obvious that i needed to train in that gear and then i forced myself last year to go to a couple matches where it was new it was new unfamiliar terrain for me and it was going to be cold so that forced me to train coming up to it so i think uh, i think that's a good that's good advice get get some gear that you you think you can shoot well in and go shoot in it and then if you can't modify it uh, come up with a plan that if you're going to strip down a little bit shoot the stage and put it back on how you're going to stay warm test that you know set yourself up a couple stages shoot the stage with how you think you can perform well and then can you get warm in the next 15 minutes before the next stage before you got to do it again yeah there's a so one thing i did <clears throat> before i really started honing in on my system i grabbed everything i had that was warm already <clears throat> my hunting gear was specifically uh, this big camo parka and i'm like yeah this is definitely the right thing to wear um and it was uh my first couple matches that's what i shot with and I remember shooting in that and not really noticing a difference and thinking, yeah, this, I'm not shooting that well today. Didn't really put two and four together. But take whatever you have now, where you, if you're, especially if you're already a little familiar with shooting, you know, try, what you, try shooting without it, then put it on, try shooting with it. Figure out what you don't like, because you'll know right away, just go through a bunch of transitions and just dry fire a bunch. You'll know quite literally within probably 10 to 15 minutes, whether that's even a functional piece to I use. can tell you what's not a functional piece for me to shoot with. Puffies? A neck gator. Oh, yeah, that doesn't work for me. No way. I had one, I used it, <laughs> and it was bad. Your um, neck feels really good when it's warm, but it changes the way that your neck and cheek interact with the rifle. Yeah. Yeah, unless you put the rifle way out to your right, out in your, like, actual pocket, which isn't, I don't, the right place isn't quite there. It's somewhere towards the middle of that. It it binds up and gets into the um, gets into the shoulder of the cheek weld area pretty quick. Yeah, I'm sure people can shoot with it. Just got to train a lot with it. So that's one thing, you know, every contact point with the rifle, whatever gear you're going to wear, you should be testing that. You know, whatever yep. layers you're going to have on your upper torso, uh, your neck gaiter, your gloves, you know, your stocking cap can interact with your ear pro. All these little things that that could be annoying at the very least and at the very worst could cause you to maybe ND because you're not used to what this stuff is um, in or in between you and your rifle and the connection points. Yeah. Um, another thing you can do in the off season is look for summer gear that's on sale because a lot of the end of summer season sales are about to happen where there is stuff left over. Go find the stuff that you really wanted to buy last season that is either not going to be available anymore or is available on discount because it's winter and they're not likely thinking about summer gear at that point. So that's another thing I usually look for is like the, the boots that we run. Um, mm -hmm. I find those, generally speaking, we found them on sale. I think they're discontinued now, but uh, I'm going to go see if I can find any more pair. I just cracked my last new pair. So Yeah, I got one more one more box that's brand new, but that's good advice. Uh, I would say that's else? if you have any money left from the MDT Black Friday sale. That's true. And Christmas. Yeah. Um, what else? Man, I don't know. The off season to me is is busy enough with just busy and productive. It's productively consistent. I go do the stuff that I don't have time to do because I'm not trying to go to a match. I spend two months prepping my gear, making sure I know how, where I want it, where my weaknesses were in packing, 
did I feel like I was lacking in a rain weather in a rainy system? Did I feel like I was lacking in a cold weather system? Uh, then you can test the cold weather right away. What was lacking in my hot weather system? Do I need more space for storage? Less and just reevaluate all the things that you have and ask: Is it a real need? And try to find a, an example that shows how you would benefit from it. So if you're if you're looking for your summer gear and you're like, oh, you know, I felt like I was always super hot. Do you have enough room for a water bottle to so you can carry water and liquids with you? Uh, oh, no, I don't have room. Okay, well, maybe look for a pack that helps you put hydration at a forefront throughout the rest of the next season uh, with an area to hold a water bottle or a bladder right, or something along those lines. Um, that's yeah. what I try to do in the offseason. I mean, another thing uh, that you have to do that we may not have said because it was it's seems totally obvious is plan your plan the matches you're going to go to yeah Yeah. i mean and for me that's a priority usually way earlier than where i'm sitting right now i i have two matches on the schedule just because they were already open for registration and i knew that i wanted to make them happen but i haven't thought any farther than that and um i like to give my wife the priority because she asks for less (laughs) time on the schedule so I mean, around the holidays, I'll say, hey, man, what is, hey, girly, hey, wifey, hey, hey man, <laughs> hey, Christine, what is your, um, what is your running schedule like this year? What, what races are you wanting to run? And then we'll put those on there and then I'll kind of fill in every other opportunity <laughs> with shooting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, but then from then I have to backwards plan to, like you were saying earlier, barrels and bullets and powder and primers and brass prep. I need to. I need to have an understanding of what that workload looks like so that I can fit it in between. And then um, I'll kind of set stuff into groups. You know, like I've got, I don't know who told me this a while ago, but barrel, um, it's its hard to keep barrel life for me because I like shooting and I just go shoot. And for me, like shooting 30 rounds, it's like, eh, I'll put it on the barrel log later. <laughs> and then I don't. And then I shoot another 60. And then I'm like, oh, I'll add that to the other and I'll put it on there. But somebody told me a while back, they're like, hey, just stack up your primers. primers. Like, yeah, with a piece of tape on the bench where you keep your primers. And when that stack's empty, your barrel's done. And I'm like, well, that's pretty smart. So, you know, I'll pull, I'll pull 2,000 primers and I'll stack them in a stack. And when, that, when that's done, I know that barrel's like, okay, I'm going to move on. Yeah, that's Unless a you have move. multiple barrels for the same primers and caliber is shared with everything but you can still serialize your barrels like we do and then put the barrel uh, the caliber yeah, the and then the serial on number on that pile of primers and you just got to remember to change out the primers if you're uh, changing stuff because I use four fit CCF 450s for everything from 6BR well, to 6.5 Creed. There's an easier way to do that you just if you need 10 rounds just load 100 and then you're good you don't have to switch out any more primers because you use the whole batch so, yeah, it's just sometimes, you know, like, no, seriously, I, I think it's I a great idea. Mean. But it another 90 really rounds, idea. another 90 rounds might be another 30 minutes. And yeah. then you're like, okay, well, for me, 90 rounds is like an hour. But um, it might uh, push you into making a mistake mode because you're already tired and whatever. So, yeah, I, I think that's a great idea, though. Like, use the rest for practice. Just make them anyway. You're going to use them. You're going to use them eventually, yeah. Them. And I, man, the more I shoot, the more I realize it doesn't feel like I've gotten any better groups by quote tuning a load, you know, plus or minus a little bit of powder. I haven't really experienced that to where I see a dramatic difference in precision that I could outshoot anybody as a result of making that time investment in tuning like that. So instead, I'm just like I'm really leaning towards just going, hey man, thirty grains, go send it, <laughs> like. Just, 
make it easy. I haven't had any rifles have any issues over time with 30 to 30 and a half, so just go send that or just pick a charge that's low, like an arbitrarily low charge. Um, and as long as it has enough speed to get you on target with small groups, I don't see a reason not to just hammer out. The, the benefits to having bulk ammo and more ammo are likely far outweigh the downsides of having more ammo available um, whenever you need it. So, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm trying to think any other big off-season stuff, but I honestly am struggling a little. I mean, there's some little things. It's a great time to have, like, if you have extra gear, you're going to sell and sell it. But it's also a good time if you're going to have things like I was going to have two Cerakoted chassis done um, because I know I'm not really going to need them for a little bit. I'm yeah, going to send them out. It's the perfect time to have things done that you normally otherwise wouldn't. It's a perfect um, time to get your barrels ready. I mean, order some barrels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know any guys? Yeah, I do. I got okay, some in well, stock. You can text me. I'll figure out who, who you want me to send them to. Yeah. Um, uh, that's about it, man. I guess the other thing that you could do, which I've, I do, I use AB analytics a lot in the wintertime when I can't shoot. I'll just look at wind scenarios and try to figure out, let's make a stage. Like, I'll mentally just practice making wind calls, right? So you since you can't actually go out and shoot all the time because it's winter and you don't really want to, you'd have to I schedule days that I'm going to shoot and just pick that as this is a day I'm going to shoot. So I'll, I'll put those on the calendar in advance over the next few weeks so that I know uh, this is a weekend I'm going to go shoot or a specific day where I'm going to go shoot long range and do some practice. And when that day shows up, I am going. And there's no, like, there's no hesitation about it. There's no, I'm quitting on it. Like, nope, you're doing six hours at the range or all day at MTC. Um, you're going to shoot 300 rounds. So you set some goals around it. This day, this many hours, this many rounds, here's what I want to accomplish. And just put that in your calendar early on. Do that for like four practice sessions and then a bunch of little ones at your house that are dry fire. I think you'd be surprised at how fast those tiny sessions stack up and keep you closer to being ready for your first match of the season. I, at least I, I find that to be very helpful or else I just tend to go out of sight is out of mind. Yeah. And that's a big downside in this sport. Out of sight is out of mind type approach will probably set you back months, if not potentially years, depending on how your skill level um, in the sport. Well, this is something I'm going to add into my winter winter practice or winter things to think about. Um, we're getting older, and this sport is getting... It's not super physical, but as far as flexibility, is pretty important. So I think it's important to find yourself some type of physical fitness or some type of activity that could help your, help your mind, body, and, and stretching and, and everything involved with keeping yourself healthy. I don't think that there's, a, a, good, there's a, a worse time or a better time to do that. You should always be thinking about that. But um, as the days are shorter, you know, if you got that treadmill in the basement or that bike or the rowing gym machine membership. or stuff that you never use or the gym membership that you pay for so you could say you have it like make a commitment since you're not having to make ammo to shoot all the time to go three times a week uh, get up at 4:30 and get after it or whatever you need to do to make that happen like yeah kind of like the new year's resolution bs but i mean there's good reasons to do it all the way around so i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely be taking advantage of that it's now that i'm idea. feeling better man i've I feel like you had the roughest three to four months of anybody like, I've known. I feel like I'm like fifty percent better. I told you Friday or Thursday I was twenty percent better, <laughs> I know, and, you just and told now me it's again Monday. Today and you're I'm like fifty like percent better. Yeah, 
I so. think at some point you're going to go, wow, did I say I was 50% better back then? Yeah, I was yeah. way wrong. Yeah, probably. I still have this, like, dry cough that won't go away, and it's yeah. not totally dry. But, yeah, it's um, – I want to get on the treadmill and kind of maybe run it out. I think that might help. Yeah, that we'll, – you could do it. You could try waterboarding. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I mean, we probably know some – we can go find some dudes. I'm sure there's people who listen. They would know. They could do it safely. Because there's no risk, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so another thing. <laughs> she yeah, just blow right on. past it. Um, um, yeah. So another thing I would suggest is come up with some paper drills, man. I, I think that um, people think that their groups are way smaller than they actually are off of positional stuff. So it's super easy to Repetitive hit Repetitive groups. Yeah. There's a difference than just one group. It's super <laughs> easy to shoot a four-inch, or a, sorry, an eight-inch plate at 400 yards from a tank trap, from a bench, from a rock pile, from a barricade. It's like, it's what we do. But shoot paper at 400 yards and then see what it is from the prone and from the positional, um, from a positional uh, stage and compare those two groups and do it at 100, do it at 400. You know, you don't have to have the craziest range to do that. Most places will have a three or 400 yard uh, target backer. And I guarantee the that the ranges aren't going to be super busy in the wintertime. So, I mean, unless you're down south, I think you're going to have a good day on the range by yourself or with a family member or something. Yeah. And um, that is another thing you could do is take a family member out shooting. You know, we shoot find all a new the buddy. time. Yeah, find a new buddy or go hang out mm-hmm. at the range. Um, but I, I highly recommend people to be honest with their groups with paper. I think, uh, like I said, I don't think enough people shoot enough paper and because it's fun to hear the steel ring and it's a pain in the ass to drive down there and set up paper and then check it and and have somebody with their hunting rifle nail your target and go, what did you just do? Yeah. Well, there won't be any hunting rifles out there in January. They only show up in November 14th. Unless you're down south. Down south, they have hunting season January, so... Yeah, yeah, so maybe like make a mixed uh, mixed routine, a weekly routine where Tuesdays is dry fire, uh, Thursdays and Saturdays is physical fitness or whatever, and Sundays is paper drills, something like that, where you can get into this routine. And for us, we only have four to eight weeks, you know, depending on which one of us you're talking to and what matches are registered. So it's not a long time, but you need to stay sharp. It's a perishable skill for sure. So. If you're not shooting a match every two to three weeks, you need to be practicing in between. If you're, if you're not, um, it's it's definitely going to be on the decline. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, let's see. Is there anything else that I'm thinking of that I haven't said already? Man, I can't think of any big ones. Uh, one point to like, I've had a couple people ask, and they reached out and said thank you, um, but also a couple people asked dry fire. Um, how small a target do you shoot at when you dry fire? The smallest dot that you can visually occlude with the ex- absolute center of your reticle. And then the inverse of that. So I actually use both a black on white and a white on black. Um, the uh, dry fire, indoor dry fire training solutions um, sent us some targets um, The uh, that have, uh, was it IDTS? I'm pretty sure it was. Who was it? DFAT. Oh, DFAT. There we go. They yeah, they always seem to say Yeah, DFAT, Adam. And then IDTS sent me some of the um, the different hunting boards and the different out west scenarios. I like them both the for a different reason. Who does the one that's printed in like little placards that are about 8 by 12? 
Yeah, that's that's Troy. Troy Tyson. Yeah. Yeah. So Troy uh, has a bunch of these different systems where he, he created one where I, I told him, like, hey, man, I don't feel like the targets that you have on your KYL rack are small enough. And he's like, oh, really? How small do you need them? And he's like, well, I'm like, well, how small can you make them? Small as they'll print? I mean, DST. DST, there you go. I was thinking um, DST that. precision. Yep. Um, so look up DST precision and look for specifically the, ask him for the, the KYL. It's a series of dry fire dots only. And it's a black on white and white on black series of dots. And then there it goes like 3M away all the way down. I think maybe even a four or five, but it goes all the way down to um, half MOA, quarter MOA. And then you do it again. There's another set that's even half scale of that. They are tiny. Um, they are literally looks like visually, visually, it looks like a single black pixel in some of, some of the targets, and I'm in a, or a single white one. And I don't always use that, but I sometimes I use it to hone my acuity. So when you get to the one that approximates the very center of your reticle, you'll quite literally occlude all of the white. So that it's a white target with a black backer. You should be able to hold the reticle dead still on that target long enough for you to engage through the trigger and do that a few times. And there's two parts to your dry fire, at least in my opinion. There's, I, always foc- I focus on the front end, which is how, sus- how settled can I get the reticle? Can I get it to stop for about a one one thousand second? So one second, one, one, one one thousand, one one thousand. I keep working that so I can get it to stop and kind of see how long it takes to settle. Can I keep it at that for one second? And then can I keep it at that and break a shot? Then can I keep it at that break a shot and have the reticle stay dead center. Those three phases happen differently. And as you're working through your dry fire routines, you work from a, sm- a smaller and smaller target um, as quickly as you uh, down as you can to get you to something that occludes where your reticle does not leave that dot before, during, or after a trigger press. It stays exactly covering it. And if it doesn't move one, one millimeter, that was a perfect press with everything lining up perfect. Millimeters pretty big. Like I say one millimeter, but I, I, one millimeter in your scope. I don't know how big that would be. One pixel, one RCH. I don't know. Pick pick the smallest unit of measure you can come up with. Yeah, those are those are all pretty small measurements. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying. <laughs> uh, I just didn't understand the way you were uh, articulating in the units. So okay, so now we're on the same page. Um, I think they, that, that there's a couple of different dry fire options out there, and I have them all, and they, they all work pretty good. So if you don't have something, there's multiple options, and um, I think dry fire is super, super powerful because it's free. Mm-hmm. Once you have the tools, it's, it doesn't cost you any barrel life ammunition or anything. So I think it's great. Um, but, yeah, come up with some type of a, a regiment to at least keep precision rifle or progress in your precision rifle game. Um, if not a daily thing, a weekly uh, thing that you're working on, and don't don't let it don't let it go, don't let it get old, because like I said, it's a perishable skill, and uh, it happens to all of us. So figure it out, get after it, get up at four thirty and uh, five a.m. and and get after it. Why? Because the match has already started. That's right, buddy. Own it every day, man. <laughs>